Welcome to the Fearless and Healthy Podcast, where each week we all get to connect with powerful change makers, movers and shakers, and top performers from all over the world so that we can all gain their insights and learn from their powerful journeys. You'll see exactly how people were able to overcome their fears and limiting beliefs and radically transform their lives for the better. We can either react to what this world throws at us in an unfavorable and destructive way, or we can choose to tap into our hearts and live a purposeful and powerful life. Let the adventure and transformation begin. Do you want to keep the holiday weight off and close out 2017 with a healthy body and mind? Head on over to fearlessandhealthy.com and download my seven-day energy and metabolism revamp program to get a head start on the New Year's resolution crowd. What's going on, everybody? Back for another episode of the show today, and today's episode is with Ronnie Landis. Ronnie is one of the leading advocates for raw foods, superfoods, and plant-based nutrition. He's an international speaker, author, and entrepreneur, and he focuses his life work on educating audiences on the benefits of a high, raw, plant-focused lifestyle for optimizing the body, sharpening the mind, and expanding the human spirit. I got a ton of value out of this conversation. I really, really enjoyed this episode with Ronnie. Here are a couple of the topics that we get into. We get into the damaging effects of the standard American diet. We do a deep dive into raw foods and also uncover some of the biggest misconceptions that people have around them. We get into preparation methods you can use to preserve the nutritional content of food. We explore fasting versus small meals throughout the day. And we also get into how to find the best diet that's right for you and how your body type might affect this. Now, we cover a lot of other topics. Those are just a few of them. But I'm telling you, Ronnie is a really smart guy, really blew me away with some of the information that he shared on the show. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Ronnie Landis. Today, we are going to dive deep into nutrition and get into some really good stuff. You know, Ronnie actually lives out here in San Diego. We just were talking about this in the pre-chat. I'm surprised our paths have never crossed, but really excited to get him on the show. He's just a wealth of knowledge. Ronnie, welcome, my man. Hey, Ian. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. And I always like to start off the show by asking what your thoughts on fear are and how that may have shifted over time. Wow, what a question to start. <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting you asked that question in particular because, I mean, that's so much of my life journey of exploring the shadows and exploring those kind of deep-seated, I guess what people would call like concerns or anxiety patterns or stress patterns or just ultimately fear and I mean, that's something that I've been exploring a lot. I actually am, uh, you know, this don't don't quote me on this yet, but I am meditating on a book project called The Pathology of Fear. And I do feel like fear, the way that it has been emphasized in our culture and the way that a lot of us experience fear as a crippling, almost like a chronic stress pattern, it is a bit of a pathology the same way that a viral or fungal or bacterial infection can cripple somebody's physiological health, fear can cripple our mental, emotional, and spiritual health, which translates to a breakdown of the physical body. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go in any direction on that topic because that's so near and dear to my heart. Yes. And I knew that when I had you on the show, 
that you're able to go deep into topics. That's why I was so excited to get you on here because we're going to talk nutrition, we're going to talk these topics, but it seems like everything that you back up, you just have like this this scientific angle or you really use real world examples to prove your point. So I love that, man. And before we get into like all the nutritional stuff, I do want to give the audience a chance to get to know you a little bit. So when I was digging up some information, I came across that some of your first memories were actually observing the movements and charisma of Bruce Lee, which I thought was super cool. And uh, I just would love to know something that you took away from him as a mentor early in your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. So when I was four years old, the first conscious memory that I can remember was of Bruce Lee and watching Enter the Dragon. And I was transfixed and captured by the dynamic expression, the power um, eventually a little later in my life, the philosophy and just the, the, it was like, basically it was like an imprintation of the archetype of a superhero was being imprinted onto my mind. And you can imagine like what kind of effect that would have on a four year old boy. And I, my entire life journey from that point on was rooted in Eastern philosophy, Eastern mysticism and martial arts. I was raised as a martial artist and, you know, I took that memory with me unconsciously and it guided everything. And really what it did for me was it gave me this sense of control, creative control for my life and my destiny that I could choose my destiny. I could choose what I wanted my life to be and I could reinvent myself at any moment in time. So if I wanted, you know, we were all inspired by the archetype of superheroes like Batman and Superman and Wolverine and Spider-Man and all those kind of things. Like there was definitely an energetic signature that got left over from all those kind of things. But those are obviously pretty exaggerated as far as like the human experience. Like those are superhumans. But what the idea of Bruce Lee gave me was this idea that I could be a superhero in my own life. And all I really had to do was commit myself to the realization of my own human potential. And I would say that more than anything was what I got out of that. And I, I still, you know, I almost have goosebumps even talking about it right now because it's just as real to me now as it was as a young boy prior to the conditioning and programming of society Somehow that always stuck with me and through all the hard times and through all the fear and through all the ups and downs that I've gone through. And, and I have had my fair share of you know trials and tribulations. Every time I felt like my back was against the wall or I was in a hopeless situation, something inside of me would activate. It was like something would trigger almost in my genetics where that imprintation would come alive and somehow I would rise out of the situation and I would find myself uh, taking on or donning the cape, if you will, of my own personal superhero expression. I love looking back and just asking people, you know, some of the influences they had in their childhood. And Bruce Lee, it's funny that, you know, when I was looking up some stuff on you that you mentioned him being such a mentor, I have, you know, one of my best friends out here was talking about how influential he was to him as well. And I think some people look at him from, you know, obviously the physical standpoint, but wow, this guy really, you know, played a huge or mindset and really controlling the mental side of things really played a huge role for him as well. I would say that the mental side of him and when, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that, Ian, because when you go on YouTube um, or you watch a documentary on his life and the people that knew him, 
everybody that knew him said that his mental stability was the thing that was most impressive about him. And when you think of that time in American history and also Chinese history, that was a time of great segregation, great division and divide. And he helped unify two seemingly opposing cultures. And that wasn't even necessarily his overarching goal, but because he stood so true to his own values and his virtues, and he was not willing to compromise he unified people and he like amalgamized people's values in such a way where that division based on skin color or culture all of a sudden got unified because you know he was simply willing to share his gifts with the world and do it in such a way that was uncompromising and i think that's what people are really truly inspired by and i think that's why he is as such an iconic figure, not because he was such a great martial artist. I mean, honestly speaking, there was probably many martial artists that were alive at that time that were probably better than him, realistically speaking. It's not like he was the greatest martial artist ever, physically speaking, but as a complete integrated and embodied human being, I think he represented something that was nothing short of just like human potential. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned a lot of stuff there. And I know we've never met, but, you know, I've, I've seen you before. We know a lot of mutual people. And when I was looking up your story, I know that you pursued a career almost or you wanted to be an Olympic athlete. You played basketball. You wanted to do these things on a professional level. And uh, just thinking about basketball, for example, I mean, you're not like this huge imposing guy. I can already see someone like Bruce Lee having this impact almost on your mindset that, hey, you can go after things. And, you know, we have so much more just outside of like our physical body to show when we show up and we really master that mental stuff. So I would love to talk about that, I guess, that chasing that dream of becoming an Olympic athlete and then really deciding to make that huge shift into nutrition where you kind of, you know, you went so deep and really went into that. What was, I guess, that catalyst for change that you that you kind of switched from chasing that dream as an Olympic athlete and then going so deep into the nutritional side of things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so just kind of give a little bit of context. So since the age of four, all the way till the age of uh, 18, not to say that it was a, a linear path. I, I've had many ups and downs and kind of distractions along the way. But when I was 15 years old, I found myself on the track and field and I was running around, but I, I. But the thing was, I wasn't fully committed to it. I, I didn't have a lot of confidence. I, I had some doubt. I didn't really. I had a lot of things in my life that were very uncertain. So I wasn't as full blown and confident as I became. So I want to let everyone know, as I share a bit about my story, that it wasn't like just because I had this impression of a superhero. It wasn't that I was out of my human neurosis or my human issues. You know, I had a lot of issues growing up on a personal level. And when I was 15 years old, running on the track and field, I remember as clear as anything, it was almost like, you know, people that have had maybe paranormal activities, or they've had like transmissions from spirit, if you want to call it, whatever it was, a voice came into my mind, and it was not my voice. And it said, Do you think you're going to live forever? It shook me like right now I can I can actually feel it in my body. It actually shook me and sobered me in a way. And in that moment, 
that was the moment I chose my path completely. And so from that point on, I decided that I was going to make full use of my life. I was going to make full use of my passion, which was in martial arts and basketball on the side at that time. But it was really to be a professional competitor and an international competitor in Taekwondo. So I went full on into it. And when I was 18 years old, I was on the verge of going to the international competitive level and everything was really starting to happen for me. But then I had my first knee surgery. And that was the first time that I had been sidelined by an injury that I couldn't work through physically. So that was the point where I actually started adopting more of the mental and emotional development side of martial arts. And that's when I started really meditating. I started taking that aspect more seriously. And then I worked with corrective exercise specialists and rehabilitation specialists to get myself going. But it wasn't until I was about 23, I'm going to kind of like gloss over some of the details here. When I was 23, I was starting to compete. I competed in tournaments like the U.S. Open and really, really getting the sense that I was absolutely capable of going to the Olympics. And at that time, I was training with my team that were built around me to train me for the 2012 Olympics. This was about 2006 going into 2007. And I had my second knee surgery. I had an injury, an ACL and cartilage tear on my left knee. And what was interesting is that I knew that I could heal, and I actually did heal it fairly quickly. But the, the transition to the story was I had gotten into natural nutrition by this time. You know, just, just like everybody else, I had grown up on the standard American diet. The whole show, no different than anybody, probably worse than most people when I really think about it. It's actually amazing that not only was I able to perform like a professional athlete, but that I was actually alive. <laughs> you know, when I really look back on on the miracle of the human body that could take in essentially garbage, you know, just to be like blunt about it, I spent my life eating garbage, just like many people did, but I didn't really know it. And so I realized that that was actually part of my problem with healing my body. And as you know, as we start to get a little bit older, our hormones don't turn on as much as they did before. And the more wear and tear and oxidative stress that we accrue in our life in sports injuries, my performance started to decline and my, my recovery started to decline. And it just made sense to me at a particular point in my early 20s that what I put in my mouth has some kind of effect. I mean, maybe, you know, some kind of little effect on my physical body and my ability to perform and heal. So without, you know, long story short, I started playing with just getting into like whole foods, you know, basic whole foods. And then eventually I got turned on to organic food. I got turned on to what now I guess might be called paleo or, or probably not. But like I got into like, you know, like raw dairy and grass fed meats and that kind of thing. And then really what happened to me along the same time that I'm recovering from the second injury, I got into vegetarian nutrition and I got into raw food, raw food nutrition. And something happened inside of me, something like it was almost like something happened on a spiritual level where I started to feel 
my direction in life spiritually was starting to change because when I look back, I realized that so much of what I was pursuing and why I worked so obsessively hard as an athlete was for the need of, for significance and the need to, yeah, the need to feel significant. And my only thing was like, okay, well, if I can excel and I can excel at the highest levels and I can have hundreds, thousands, millions of people watching me and cheering me on and, and feel like I'm representing something that unifies people and excites people, then I must be good enough, right? It's that classic thing that I think is going on in the world right now where people are waking up to this idea that oftentimes we chase things because underneath it we don't feel good enough as we are. And I think that was definitely going on for me. So something was occurring for me when I got into raw food and the moment of transition really happened when, and I tell this story quite often and it's still just as powerful now as it's ever been. So I had taken a couple years off from running and I grew up running five miles every morning. It was like one of three workouts per day. And that's how some of my knee injuries happened was just like overtraining, wear and tear on, on my, my kneecaps. And I was scared to go running. And there was this five mile stretch in one of the hills that I grew up running. And it was always a very cathartic thing for me. It was connecting with nature. I get to run up these like super uphill inclines. And it was just something I loved to do. But I was scared to do it because I didn't want to re-injure my knee. The weirdest thing happened because... Within about 30 days of going on a 100% raw vegan diet, no animal products, I just like really got inspired by this. And I wanted to find out what would happen if I just adopted a raw food diet. I, I'm hearing about all these miraculous healing stories, weight loss stories, all this stuff. And so I just wanted to do that. And I think about 30 days into it, I found myself at this trail and I ran five miles in the hills like nothing had changed. And it was so strange when I think about it because it wasn't like I prepared myself to go there. It was just like I kind of like just was guided to go there. You know what I mean? And when I came back and all the endorphins weared off, I was like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What just happened? It was like, I don't know, like maybe something kind of possessed me. But when I got back... I was like, wait, what did I just do? And I started jumping up and down. I started feeling my knees. I was like, where's the inflammation? Is I had to ice my knees twice a day for at least four or five years up to this point. So like, I basically realized that I had healed myself. And I healed myself so much to the point where I actually forgot that I was in pain to begin with. And that was probably the most powerful moment because I had realized that for most people, most people are living in pain, mental, physical, emotional pain every single day of their life. And they're typically medicating it, sedating it, pacifying it, or simply managing it. But very often do people truly heal the pain that they contend with and Something had happened to me where I literally forgot about my pain, and that was part of my healing. And so from that moment, and it's not like it happened overnight, but that was the moment I realized that my destiny, if you will, 
was going to be dramatically different than what it had been. And that's what got me started with the work I do now. It's crazy looking back, and I'm sure, obviously, you can attest to this. We look at like what we eat at like 18 or 19 years old, and it's just it's astonishing, you know, what we put into our body, and then we kind of like go on this journey as you just described, and you realize, wow, like what we consume makes such a big difference in every other area of our life, and it sounds like after that story, that one of the things you have on your site, you say nutrition is not simply about the analytical composition of food. It is truly about becoming one with nature and therefore becoming a purified natural human being in an unnatural world. I love that. Mm, yeah. Let's talk about raw foods here for a second. What do you think are some of the big misconceptions people have around them? Because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding with them when people should use them. So I'd love to get your take on that. Absolutely. Well, there is definitely a lot of that going on, and it's kind of understandable. And raw food is a big topic, you know, and really for me, the way I got started with it was that I started eating fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds. I got into fermented food and seaweeds and sprouts and green vegetable juicing. And to me, that makes up kind of the foundation of raw food nutrition. And when I think about raw food, I think about the foundation in the origin of all food to begin with. You know, when we were placed on this planet um, as little newborns, we didn't have a, um, a toaster, a stove, a microwave, uh, or any other form of cooking or processing attached to us. We had to go and either forage or, or gather food in its raw original state. And then, you know, depending on what point in timeline or now, we, we have all these, these methods of processing and cooking food and heat treating food. But ultimately, food started off in its raw, organic state. And that's what I think about it is just getting right back to what's natural, what's original, what's authentic, and what makes sense. There's nothing more simple than raw food. Now, does that mean that everybody should be a raw foodist? Absolutely not. But it means that we have, in our civilization, we have gone so far into complexities and overcomplicating nutrition as one topic that we have actually become extremely disconnected from where food comes from. You know, you go to a supermarket or something and you look at a, I'll take an example. You know, you could look at a piece of what we call meat, right? And people just go there and they, they pick up the steak or the chicken or whatever, and they just go about their way. But there's no real connection to where that piece of animal musculature came from, the origin, the animal, the farm, so on and so forth. There's a huge disconnect, right? And so that's kind of what, for me, that's what raw food actually did for me is that it awoke me to our food and agricultural system. And it, it actually created a connection to food where I had no connection about food before. I literally didn't know what food was. I thought I knew what food was, like macaroni and cheese. That's food, right? But I, the whole concept around it was unquestioned. And it wasn't until I got into green vegetable juice cleansing and I got into living food nutrition that I began to start questioning everything that I had learned. And I think that's one of the most important points just to highlight is that we oftentimes assume we know something about something, but we don't necessarily question it or we don't go enough down our own little rabbit hole to find out what the truth of it is. 
And I think there's great wisdom waiting for us on the other end of that. Well, I think you make a couple really great points there. One is people overcomplicate the crap out of things, right? They're always looking for the quick fix, the quick solution. And then what it does in the in the long run is it actually makes it impossible to adhere to a healthy strategy because they overcomplicate the crap out of things. And then you just also mentioned, you said, well, you know, maybe being someone that eats raw foods all the time isn't the best approach for everyone. So how does someone find the diet that's right for them? Let's say, okay, obviously we both know that there's no cookie cutter approach. How does someone start to find what is going to be the best strategy for them? Uh, that's a fantastic question. And, you know, I, I have been a raw food enthusiast for over a decade. And so I've definitely seen the good, the bad, the ugly, and the amazing. I've seen people completely transform every area of their health and their life. And I've also seen people go on the deep end as well, like doing over cleansing, too much water fasting, too much juice fasting, too much raw food for their constitution, or particularly the their digestive situation, or maybe even the, the season. You know, winter, for example, is a pretty obvious one, right? So there's a little bit of common sense wrapped up in this. I would say, generally speaking, the beauty about raw food is that we start to incorporate more alkaline nutrition in its raw form that's full of water, because that's the great thing about fruits and vegetables, right? That it's water rich. So it immediately hydrates you. And that's the number one problem with health in general is it's a hydration issue. It's a hydration issue in a demineralization of our food supply where people are demineralized so their brain isn't working properly, their nervous system isn't conducting electricity and, and communication properly. And that's one of the things that starts to happen for people when they just start they start adding in. I, I like this idea of addition by or subtraction by addition which is instead of what most diets tell you to do, you got to take out everything until you have very little amount of options to choose from. You have to deprive yourself. I don't believe in that at all. And knowing human nature, I know that that's only going to lead to one extreme to another. You know, somebody's going to do okay for a little bit, but then they're going to break and swing all the way to the other end. And they're probably actually going to, they're going to eat worse off than they did before because it's like a rubber band. It got pulled back too much and it really didn't get integrated. So it swings back and then people are just like going off the deep end and back into junk food or whatever their thing is, right? So I love this idea of adding in one thing at a time. And what ends up happening is as you add in one green vegetable juice, you add in one organic green leafy salad for dinner, you add in maybe a superfood smoothie or an herbal tonic tea or one liter of spring water in the morning. You add these things in as they make sense to you and as it feels good. What's going to happen is the old habits and the old patterns of eating, they start to fall away basically. It's actually the most incredible strategy because instead of willpowering our way to change our diet, if you notice the word diet has the word die in it, it's not really that attractive when you really think about it, but we want to we want to get into a live it. So when you start adding one thing in at a time, it naturally starts to push out the other things that one is trying to release from their life. So that's the way that I start. And 
everybody, you're absolutely right, Ian. Like every single person, if I have learned anything over the last 10 years in this field, every single person is totally unique mentally, emotionally, physiologically, digestively, enzymatically, meaning that they have a different a different enzyme bank account that's going to allow them to process, digest, break down, assimilate certain foods or nutrients or whatever the case may be. Everybody's different microbiotically, so they're beneficial bacteria and the strains of bacteria that are intrinsic to them, depending on how much damage they might have had done through antibiotics and whatever else is going on in their life. Everybody is totally different. So one, the way that somebody finds out what works best for them is taking the mentality that this is all an experiment, right? Like we are experimenting with one thing after another. And one of the challenges I've seen with people, especially type A type of people like myself, <laughs> is that we try to throw everything at it all at once, right? We get super excited and it's like, okay, I'm going to make this $50 smoothie, which I had been doing for a while. I mean, every single superfood, every single like marine phytoplankton, all these super high octane kind of nutrition and supplements, I threw everything in the blender. And that was actually good for me because it, it created a saturation point. But eventually what ended up happening is that as my body got saturated with all this high-level nutrition, I started to notice that I really didn't need all of that anymore. It actually started simplifying, and now my diet has actually become extremely simple, but it's been an experiment. That's the main point I want to drive across this question, is that if somebody can treat their life as their laboratory and their diet as an experiment, and see what works for them moment by moment by moment, then they're going to be led to what naturally works for them, not just what somebody else told them. Well, if you guys listen to that and just really go back and listen to that a couple times, one, not relying on your willpower, right? Making small incremental adjustments along the way. And then the best point of all is really looking at it like a science experiment, because what happens is I think people get so caught up in their beliefs and the one thing that they learned and then they're unwilling to explore other things as new research comes to the forefront. And you really have to have, be open-minded about it and try different approaches. I think that's the way that you got to look at it. Now, because I know that you're so big into raw foods, Ronnie, I would love to, to know your thoughts on you know any preparation methods that you use to preserve the nutritional content of the food. Because I think that that's going to be a question I get a lot from this episode. Would love to know your take. Yeah, well, that's a great question. I mean, there's there's a lot of different ways we could go with that. I think the, the most basic and obvious thing is that we want to eat food as fresh as we possibly can. One of the things that I would tell people is that instead of going to your grocery store, try to go to your local farmer's market because the food that you get from your farmer's market is going to be more economical. It's going to directly support the farmers that need our support the most. And it's also going to be substantially higher quality food. And that food typically is either picked that morning or the day before to prepare to ship the food or to drive wherever the farmer's market is from the farm. That's going to be the freshest and most direct access to the highest quality produce that we can get. So that would be the first thing. We want to make sure that when we're getting fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, that kind of thing, fresh food, 
we don't want to let it sit around in our refrigerator for too long because unless you have some kind of ozonation, like a berry breeze or something that's actually emitting ozone molecules or oxygen molecules into the refrigerator, there is a tendency for fermentation to build up in the refrigerator. And that's something a lot of people aren't aware of. We, we just know that the refrigerator preserves food, but it also can be an incubator for microbes. And that is very important, especially when we're storing like nuts and seeds in our refrigerator because they can build up with mold toxins and create biotoxins when we eat them. And, and this is a big issue, actually, because a lot of people, when they get into raw food, they try to replace their caloric needs from like heavier calorie sources like uh, dairy foods and meat and processed foods. So they, they immediately they go right into nuts like cashews and almonds and walnuts and Brazil nuts and, and all these kind of things. And those are all great. You just want to make sure that the quality of the nuts and seeds that you get are really high quality. And typically speaking, you want to soak and sprout your nuts. There's a few nuts like Brazil nuts that are actually one of the only wild foods that we have left that haven't been cultivated or hybridized. Those don't require soaking, but most other nuts actually need to be soaked for about eight to 10 hours. And then you pour that out into a strainer, you rinse the nuts one more time. And then now you have basically what's called activated or germinated nuts. And you can tell the difference when you've had a sprouted almond versus just an almond that you went to the store, you went to Whole Foods or something, and you got out of the bin. That is super important because those nuts and seeds typically have enzyme inhibitors called phytates or phytic acid. And if those haven't been deactivated, those phytates can actually bind onto certain minerals like zinc, like selenium, like magnesium, very essential micronutrients, and can actually create further digestive issues. So I'm learning a lot in this episode as well. Great stuff there, Ronnie, and definitely something that you know I'm going to try in my own life. Now, looking back, obviously, I think obviously now coming to the forefront is like intermittent fasting and people eating less frequently throughout the day where a lot of people, you know, if they look at the way things used to be or the way people typically approached eating, it was the small meal approach, right? So do you favor one or the other? Obviously, we just talked about how everyone's unique. So maybe fasting is going to be right for someone and not right for the other person. What's your personal preference and why? Fasting, intermittent fasting and cyclic fasting are all part of my personal protocol. And they have been for many years. And you know, it's interesting, Ian, when I think about it, this interview is causing me to have to actually look through my own history a little bit to, to pull out certain experiences I've had. I really got into intermittent fasting as a practice probably around five years ago. But what was weird or what's just interesting is that I actually naturally started going down the intermittent fasting path without even knowing what it was before it became really popular and that's one of the things that, that raw food did is that it helped me adopt a liquid-based diet. And so no matter what type of dietary program someone subscribes to, super valuable insight is that you want to start adopting more of a liquid-based nutrition strategy. So what ended up happening for me is that 
I started seeing the value in hydration. So I started realizing that I need to drink at least one liter of spring water every single morning before I had anything because the word breakfast means to break a fast, right? And we're fasting throughout the night when we're sleeping and then we wake up. So we need to break that fast with water. And then after that, I would typically just do like um, an herbal tea or something like chamomile or, or yerba mate or shaga mushroom tea or something. And then after that, I would have a green vegetable juice. Shortly after that, I would have a superfood blueberry smoothie, right? There's a common theme in what I'm sharing. I just started naturally progressing towards liquid-based nutrition. And then later in the day, I might snack on nuts or have my, my green leafy salad late at night. Now, I didn't know about intermittent fasting while I was doing this. I was just naturally kind of guided by my intuitive impulses and what I was learning in the raw food world. And I started to notice, like, when I look back, I was like, wow, I was actually starting to adapt or progress towards what people are now calling, like, intermittent fasting. Like, my body was somehow kind of knew this, so it started acclimating to eventually preparing where now I can water fast whenever I want. And that I pretty much do. I, I water fast I would say like when I wake up for about six hours is pretty typical. I'll just drink water. I might have like a green juice here and there. I might have like a non-caloric tea or something. And then and then eventually I'll have a smoothie or I'll have like I'll have like a herbal tonic with coconut oil or ghee or something like that. But as far as intermittent fasting goes, like I love it. I really got deep into about a year and a half ago, I got really into cyclic fasting which is where you're basically you're basically drinking water, maybe a little bit of juice, non-sugar juice. You don't really want any calories in there. And for some people drinking like just black coffee or just drinking tea throughout the day and then having only one solid meal within a one hour window in that day. And that meal would typically be between either 4 p.m. or 7 p.m. And then so it's basically like a 23 hour or something like that caloric fast. There's so much now with all the intermittent fasting that you're talking about. You know, honestly, Ronnie, it's, I still have not explored the intermittent fasting. I've done, you know, I've gone through some different fasting stages, but never really given it, you know, I've gone full throttle with it. And I've started to hear so many good things with it. Now, this interview, too, where you're really going into depth around it. So it's definitely something, like you said, that I'm going to have to experiment with, right? And see how my body reacts to it. And, you know, what we touched on, we touched on how there's no cookie cutter approach. There's one diet is not going to work for someone else. But what are your thoughts on body types affecting mm. the nutritional strategy that someone should take? We've got into, we've talked a lot about like micronutrients and superfoods and all that good stuff. But let's say someone, for example, that is big boned, right? And they have a, a tougher time taking on weight for what you do. Or if you were, I guess, prescribing a nutritional protocol for someone like that versus someone like an ectomorph that has a really tough time putting on weight and muscle, what would their nutritional strategy or look like and why would it differ? This is a really good question. The way that I would answer this is based on some of the ideas around metabolic typing. You can definitely go a lot deeper into it to get a little more specific, but yeah, certain body types and based on the functionality or the lifestyle of that person is going to determine what is going to work best for them, right? So if somebody is a weekend warrior, 
then their diet is going to look different than somebody who is a full-blown athlete, right? If a woman, and women's biochemistry and hormones are typically a little more unique and specific than men. Men can typically get away with more variations than women. Women um, have more variations, yet they need a little more of a specific approach, depending on, let's say, if a woman is pregnant and depending on what trimester she's in or if she's in a a pre-pregnancy state and she wants to do six months or 12 months of pre-pregnancy cleansing or she just had a baby, you know, there's a different variables and different circumstances that are going to affect what nutrition strategy is going to work the best. So we just have to look at it from this perspective that knowing what your function is and how to eat for your function is the most important thing. Every one of us does have a different body type, but it's how we use our body that determines the type of fuel that we need for our body. Does that make sense? So true. Yes, I I agree. I'm nodding my head over here because I agree with you on every level. Well, Ronnie, man, this has been really great. I have a couple more questions for you to simplify it for people because we've thrown a lot at them. If you were to go back and start over with all the knowledge you've acquired, Let's break it down into like three things that people can walk away from this interview with and, you know, immediately start to see a difference in the way they feel, their energy levels, all that stuff. Ooh, okay, that's this is good. If I had to go back, knowing what I know now and start from scratch, well, I feel like I am starting from scratch half the time. So it's kind of interesting, you know, because I'm reinventing. But I would say number one is hydration first. When I started going into different dietary strategies and playing with different things, I realized that the fish tank and the water in the fish tank was 70% of the deal. And if I only focused on the fish flakes, the fish flakes being the food, but forgot all about the water and the water ended up getting kind of dirty and it never got cycled out and renewed, then the fish flakes would make very little difference. So the water aspect is super, super important. And the thing I would say, based on my experience, is making sure that we drink one liter of the best quality water that is properly mineralized first thing in the morning before we start jumping into coffee or tea or or breakfast, whatever that may be. So probably not, um, probably not the San Diego tap water then. No, no, not at all. Yeah, no, I'm a huge spring water fanatic. I love going to live springs and procuring water from fresh from the site. Here in San Diego, I mean, you know, even though we do have some of the worst tap water, and I advise everybody get off tap water consciousness. Like, you just need to get off tap water. If that's the only thing you do right away, you know, for example, there's Palomar Springs, there's Mountain Valley Spring, there's Castle Rock Spring Water from Mount Shasta. There's all these amazing options. If you're in the U.S., you can get on the phone with any of these companies and they will auto ship you fresh spring water, which is still to this day the thing that transformed my health more than anything. So that's number one. I would say what's coming up to me as number two is I didn't realize, and it's kind of interesting about your first question around fear, I didn't realize how deeply embedded You know, there's a lot of talk around shadow, like shadow sides of our personality. There's a lot of talk around wounds and emotional trauma. I didn't really realize how deeply embedded 
these cultural wounds were in our genetics. And I've more recently realized through my study of epigenetics and and certain personality typing, like uh, the work of gene keys and things like that, that the wounds of our culture, the pains, the suffering of our culture is actually to some level encoded in each one of our genes, in our DNA. So the emotional trauma release work, whatever that may be, I realized more recently that that was some of the most important work for my health. Because when we feel like we have inner conflicts, we're irrationally afraid of things, we're chronically concerned and worrying about things, the level of stress that gets imposed on our mind and our heart creates physical degeneration, maybe more than anything, maybe more, you know, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda and all the great shamanic teachings really talk about the fact that if we're spiritually unhealthy, then there's nothing we can do to make ourselves physically well. I love right. how you hit on that because I feel like that is something that gets overlooked and that people don't even take into account. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's, that's a whole podcast in of itself, but I want to make that point because that, that's, that's what's real for me. I would have done that work much, much earlier on. And then number three, I would say like number three is, this is really an exciting one, but it's to find out what you love to do and then to find a way to only do what you love to do. That would have been it for me. Like when I got started with this, I love what I was doing, but I didn't know how to only do what I love to do. And that's kind of an entrepreneur perspective. But I think it's also it's a wellness perspective, because when we feel like we can't fully do what we're here to do and what we love to do, then a part of our life force gets allocated to doing low priority things that really don't excite us and ignite us. So if we can really get clear on what it is that we really love to do, what makes us come alive, and then structure our life based on our highest priorities, and find a way to only do the thing we love to do, I mean, then that really unlocks everything as far as health and wellness is concerned. Absolutely. Operating in uh, that zone of genius, right? It just yeah. eliminates the stress. It makes you show up more powerfully in the world. Well, Ronnie, the last question is, man, what do you want to be remembered for? Wow. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that one. My mission is to help relieve suffering on the planet by any means necessary. And I want to be remembered as somebody who contributed everything he could with everything he had in every way he knew how to, to help alleviate suffering on the planet. That is an awesome thing to be remembered for, Ronnie. Well, thank you so much, man, for sharing your knowledge, for coming on the show. I know the listeners are going to get a ton of value from this episode, man, and I learned a lot too. So like I said, hopefully we'll connect, but where is the best place to get a hold of you, man, if the listeners want to find out more about what you're up to? Absolutely. So people can go to my website. It's www.ronnielandis.net. I also have an online holistic health certification program called the Holistic Health Mastery Program. It's it's also www.holistichealthmastery.com. And then I also have my own podcast called The Holistic Health and Human Potential Show. And that's on my website, theronnielandis.net. Sounds good. Well, we will link up everything in the show notes page and hope to connect soon. Awesome. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. 
Thanks so much for tuning into the show today, guys. You can get the show notes for every episode and access additional resources on building your strongest body and mind over at fearlessandhealthy.com. I'll talk to you soon.